You are listening to Conversations with Chris Marshall, where I sit down and talk to top real estate investors and professionals who work with investors to find out how to become a top investor. If you are interested in becoming a top real estate investor, then be sure to subscribe to the show and to tune in to new episodes so we can level up and start or scale to success in real estate investing. Welcome back to another episode of the Top Investor Podcast. On the show today is Jeremy Goodrich. Jeremy is the host of the CRE Clarity Podcast, focusing on helping real estate investors understand the risks and and understand how to better risk manage their real estate investments in the commercial real estate investing world. He's also the Chief Protection Officer at Shine Insurance Agency. And on on the show today, we take a lot of his knowledge in the insurance and in the risk management field. And we talk about real estate investing from commercial real estate investing to the single family guys, anywhere in between. Uh, It's a great show, some great knowledge on what's coming up in the industry and what's kind of happening throughout the market in the US around insurance. So definitely a great uh, podcast to be listening to sooner rather than later uh, so that you can stay up on some of those trends that are are happening right now. Uh, With that out of the way, Let's get on with the episode. Welcome back to another episode of the Top Investor Podcast. On the show is Jeremy. How you doing, Jeremy? Chris, great to be on. I'm doing great. Really excited to just share a little bit about uh, what I'm up to, what's going on in the commercial real estate world, and help your listeners as much as I can. Yeah, let's dive right into it. Why don't you go ahead and give us a little bit about who you are, what it is you do, and and, uh, your story in investing. Cool. I'm the owner of Shine Insurance Agency. I am a service team member to commercial real estate investors. First, I mostly serve at this point investors who have between 100 and 5,000 doors. So I'm kind of in that middle space. Um, but I've served all levels. Uh, I started Shine Insurance in 2013 after being an elementary school teacher for 13 years before that, decided that there was not really a path to financial freedom uh, through being an elementary school teacher. And as much as I loved it, it just wasn't working. So I shifted and really ever since then been trying to build uh, avenues of, I don't know about wealth, but just a comfortable lifestyle in a way that hopefully as things go forward, I can work less and less and see passive income come in the door more and more. So I see the real estate world from a variety of of uh, perspectives, and I'm happy to share some insight on all those. Yeah, that's awesome. So the the middle guys is 100 doors to 5,000 doors. If that's that's nuts to me. What so like you the the big guys are five thousand and above. That well, yeah, you see, down? you know the, the the largest investors certainly cross five thousand doors. You're getting into REITs at that point, institutional lending, family offices. You know these yeah. are folks who are digging in at the highest uh, levels. But I, I think those folks dabble in smaller stuff too, uh, down to. You know, generally as an investor, there's a couple of groups, right? If you're looking to one one to four family properties, uh, whether that's flipping or buying for rental use, uh, annual ocup- occupancy or, you know, short term, that's kind of one place, right? And you can grow mm. a great portfolio there. You can make a wonderful living there. I have lots of friends and many clients who are doing wonderful in that space and happy to be there. If you do want to move out of that space, then you start to move into the sort of five units or more. And that really crosses from terms like residential 
to terms like commercial. And that's important for things like insurance, what I do. Mm -hmm. Commercial insurance is different than residential insurance, but it's also important for lending for the most part, right? You shift from four doors or less to five doors or more, and it's a different kind of loan. Um, and obviously folks grow into those larger spaces. And I think the, you know, the 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 20 doors to 200 doors is a space where everyday people can hang out, right? If you're yeah. listening to this podcast and you're, you know, getting into real estate, you can be in that space if you want to be. Now, again, there's nothing wrong with being in a five door space where you're just happy. It's supplementing maybe another type of income you have in your household or whatever. Um, but, you know, 20 doors to 200 is a space, you know, that I think is very accessible. When you cross over that 200 doors, that's when you start getting up against institutional money, uh, REITs, and it's just a whole different game in that space. And I think that's yeah. the space that I insure in, and and that's a space I'm most comfortable. But yeah, that was maybe a long answer to your question, but that's how I break up the different places and the different sizes of portfolios. Yeah. So, so two things just real quickly. REIT is a real estate investment trust. Is that correct? Yeah. So REITs are, and we're, you know, basically very similar to stocks where mm -hmm. anyone can invest from a distance, right? I can invest in yeah. Apple. I have no connection to Apple. I don't know anybody in there, but I can pay my $150 a for a stock or whatever it is, and I can dig in. REITs are a way for everyday people to invest in real estate in the same way as you invest in the stock market. And then it's managed at a higher level by larger business entities. Okay. And those aren't ones that are sold and exchanged on like the open market. Like these aren't stocks. Like I'm not buying them in the same place on Weeple as I am, you know, Apple, right? Like these are publicly traded no, not really, but REITs are something that you can, like your financial advisor can help you invest in. So okay. if you're, when financial advisors set up your split, they might be invested in, in tech a little bit. They might be invested in main street business. You know, they're going to diversify your portfolio. You've heard that before, right? Yeah. And when yeah. they say real estate, you know, maybe they have that Edward Jones or whoever has the split up thing and says uh, X is in real estate. What that really is, is REITs for the most part. Yeah. And then ju just to really make certain we know who we're talking to, are you helping the apartments, the, the multifamily investors, or is this also, would you put the same classifications for the commercial, like a uh, uh, business tenants or business occupants in, in that same branch, like a hundred unit business uh, buildings as well? Yeah. So we do commercial real estate, which is defined as office retail, industrial, self-storage, mm. or apartments. So okay. those are just the different asset classes. Uh, triple net lease would be, I mean, triple net leases are office retail. Yeah. Um, but so when I say commercial real estate, it encompasses those asset classes. Perfect. Awesome. So we're talking to, or a lot of people listening are the starting and scaling investors. They're either figuring out how they get their first deal or they're like me where they're like, I've done some, you know, I've done some rental properties. I've done some single families. I want to move into something a little bigger. I want to get into the multifamily game. I want to try and, and take on my first, like, you know, half million, million dollar deal this year. What should I be thinking about? For the insurance, I've, I've been working with State Farm Insurance people for the last little bit for the the single families. Yeah. When do I need to look at moving into a someone like you who's like, no, this is 
specifically what I do? What When should I be thinking about having that conversation, looking for someone like you to bring onto my team? That's a great question. So I, I think that understanding how insurance is broken up is kind of the answer to that. Yeah. So the, the first fork is really whether you work with what's called captive insurance companies or whether you work with independent insurance companies. And so captive is kind of like your Super Bowl commercials, your state farms, your nationwide, your Liberty Mutuals, the ones where you can just go directly to the company and they have insurance for you, right? Um, those companies have some solid options, um, but they only have one option, right? You're going there that they have the option that they have. Usually they're, they're not going to advise you very much. You either take it or leave it. It is what it is. And so that's one option. Uh, the other option is an independent insurance agent. That's what I am. Um, basically, we have all we have a whole bunch of options. And so I own my own business. I go out to insurance companies and I say, hey, you're a great insurance company. I would like to have you in my agency. You can compete with everybody else in my insurance agency. Mm -hmm. And um, if you win, great. If you lose, then you know maybe our relationship doesn't last for very long. Um, okay. And so that's what you're deciding. When you go to State Farm, you're going to one option. That's great. No problem with that. You just know that that's your option. So is State Farm, if their price goes up at a renewal by a lot, are they going to tell you, hey, you know what? That other option, another option is probably the best. No, of course not, because they don't have another option. So those are kind of the two pieces as an investor that you have to think about from the very beginning, independent or captive. For the most part, the State Farm's you know, as you know, they can do single family rentals. They can do up to four door rentals without any problem. There mm. shouldn't be any issue. Could you go to an independent agent for that too? Absolutely. So, you you know, your options are incredibly open when you're at that size property. Um, having a specialist is nice. Having someone who talks the lingo is great, um, but you don't have to go there. Once you cross yeah. into that five doors, you know, uh, five doors to probably eight, five units to eight units, the state farms are probably still going to be able to handle that. So small commercial, um, you know, your state farms of the world, your farm bureaus of the world, farmers, folks like that, you probably can still hang out in that space. Um, when you get to a larger portfolio than that, you know, maybe you've got a 40 unit property, or maybe you have multiple eight units you know, properties, things in that nature. I would say probably the line is in that 30 to 40 unit area, your state farms are going to start saying, we can't help you anymore. Yeah. And so you're going to know because they're telling you no. <laughs> right. Oh, okay. Um, and so, you know, if, if you get to the point with them where they're kind of out of their league a little bit, they're out of their comfort zone, then you know where you're at with that. And uh, then you can move to, you're going to have to move to an independent insurance agent because we're the ones who, who deal with, larger commercial who really handle that part of the world. Yeah. And is it like, um, is it similar to realtors where they're not, not all created equal? Not all realtors are created equal. If I'm, if I'm a real estate investor, I need to find a re realtor that works with real estate investors. Is it the same thing with the independent guys as well? Independent agents like yourself? Yeah, I, I think, you know, it's very similar to every service provider that you, um, 
every service provider that you pick as you're building your team. One of the biggest things that's different between, you know, residential investing and commercial investing at a higher level is having to build a team. I don't know what your team looks like with your portfolio, but you probably have a little more flexibility. Do I have to have other team members? Eh, I mean, they're helpful, but I might be able to manage my own property. I might be able to deal with this. I might be able to deal with that. When you're picking service team members at this higher level, it really is you've got to pick the right people. And so there is a difference. There's a difference yeah. between someone who understands the lingo and knows what you're talking about and make sure they set things up properly and someone who doesn't. How, how do you, obviously they could just come to you, but if they, if they can't come to you for whatever reason, or they want to go out and they want to look for someone, how, how would you recommend they start that search? What are the, some of the characteristics or things that they should be looking out for? Absolutely. Well, probably a lot of your listeners can't come to me again. I, I only really work with, yeah. you know, a hundred doors or more. So um, I think that, you know, there's a couple of things. One is, in my opinion, going to an independent agent is key because you've got them, you've got companies competing for your business. You're always going to get the best price when people have to compete. And so an independent agent would make the most sense to me. Two, I really think you do, as we were just talking about, need to find someone who understands the industries. There's lots of great agents out there who commercial real estate or residential real estate is what they do. So reaching out to those folks. And then thirdly, I feel like in this, in our industry is one of the worst at this. I feel like you want to work with someone who's explaining things in a way that makes sense. If you're out there looking for an insurance advisor, you have a 15 minute conversation with them and you feel dumber than you were about insurance when you started the conversation, you're having the conversation with the wrong person. You know, yeah. find someone who can explain clearly exactly what's going on and is communicative. I would say the last thing is if if folks aren't getting back with you pretty quickly, I think in indie, any industry that's true, right? You want to you want responsiveness and you want to know that you have responsiveness. So those would be some of my top things. Yeah, I really like those. I really like the if you can have a 15 minute conversation with them and you feel dumber at the end yeah, of that conversation, pass. <laughs> yeah, I, I really like that a lot. Yeah. yeah. So uh, let's kind of move into some of like the the helping of the the people, getting into some of the the more of the advice stuff. So yeah. you are you also do some real estate investing in, in a passive yeah. way. What what does that look like for you? So I'm invested in syndications. So these are larger. One of them is a multifamily deal. Yeah. Two of them are multifamily deals. Another one is a triple net office deal. And then another one is more real assets than uh, real estate in the oil and gas area. So those are kind okay. of where I'm investing, but all syndications, small amounts of, or an amount of money that you put in and basically you trust the other people to uh, manage it and yeah. uh, go through the process. Yeah. So what did that look like for that first one that you got involved in? Did someone approach you or did you approach someone with a knock? Did, were you yeah. reaching out to people and being like, Hey, I got, I got money. I need you to spend it for me. Just give me a little <laughs> bit back. Like yeah. how did that happen? Well, I'm in a somewhat unusual, you know, service providers in general are in this position. So I have people coming to me for a service, right? And what do I do as an insurance advisor? I go through their offering memorandum. I go through their business plan. I go through the safety and risk management systems that they have in place. I look at the financials. So I really am underwriting deals in some ways as a part of offering an insurance proposal. 
And so I can tell the difference between a good deal. You know, I've got a fair amount of reps at this point. So you kind of see good deals and you also see good investors. Like there's just some characteristics of good investors that I know, okay, this person, you know, fits some of the characteristics that I see from someone that's good. So I want to look at the investor first. That's always my opinion as a passive investor. I care about the deal kind of. But really, I care about the investor. I care about the sponsorship team. I care about what their history is, what successes they've had, what failures they've had and how they navigated them. If someone can describe to you a failure they've had and how they navigated it, that is so key. Um, but again, I had the benefit of being able to really underwrite a lot of these deals from a deeper on a deeper level before deciding whether to invest in them or not. Yeah, that's awesome. So how, how does the structure typically work on the syndication deals? Maybe some of our listeners are looking at forming their first syndication and what, what's some of the nuts and bolts to how that kind of gets all set up, if you so have I any think, insight into that? Oh, yeah, absolutely. So I, I think the best way to think about it is, is to understand a capital stack, right? Mm. If you are investing in an apartment, let's say you're investing in an apartment complex, and let's say that apartment complex is going to cost $10 million to buy just to keep it even, right? Yep. You're going to have to borrow at least 80% probably from debt, right? Just borrow, get a mortgage. Um, obviously, there's a lot of creative ways to do that. You've probably had folks on your show who've talked about creative ways to do it, but let's just be yeah. boring and bland for this conversation. So $8 million of that is going to have to come from lending, right? And so, you know, the other $2 million has to come from somewhere. Yeah, And so that is kind of where the syndications come in. Folks say, well, I don't have $2 million to buy a $10 million property, but I can go out and raise some money. I can go out and get people to put in, uh, you know, usually the minimum is, is $50,000. Um, there's different ways to do different things, but a lot of times $50,000 is a minimum. So, you know, if I need $2 million, I need 20 people at $100,000 or, or 40 people at at $50,000. And if I can pull all of that together, then we now are a part of the capital stack. And when this property makes money, we get money back. Now, the way that is set up is dynamic, is different, depends on the deal, has a whole bunch of different structures. But yeah. at the bottom line, if you understand the capital stack, you understand syndication. It's simply uh, finding a way to get the money that's that gap in capital between the purchase price and the amount you can borrow from a lender. Yeah, for sure. And they're, they're typically saying, you know, as a whole, we're, we're going to be splitting this up based off, you know, whatever this number is, like where we're everybody that's providing that 20% of that capital stack, we're going to pay back 8% annually or, or what, how, how does that typically work out? So it can break out a lot of ways. I mean, you can, so in generally the way it breaks up is, um, well, what you just described is usually a preferred return. So like one I'm invested in right now, I invested $50,000 and I am not guaranteed because nothing is guaranteed, but I have a 8% preferred return per year. So before anybody else in the before anyone else in this part of the capital stack gets money, you better believe the mortgage company gets money before I do, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, but before anyone else gets any other money in the capital stack, me and all the other investors at my tier get 8% preferred. Hmm. Now, if if the deal can't pay out 8% preferred in a given year because it didn't make that, then they owe me that still the next year. 
And mm. so it doesn't like fall off or anything like that, right? And then there's sort of what happens above and beyond the 8%. Generally, that above that 8% preferred then gets split between the sponsorship team and you in a given percentage. Mm. So if there's more than 8% of the given profit that we need in the de- in this particular deal I'm thinking of, I get seven. I get seventy percent, and they get thirty percent. Mm. Um, obviously, based on my percentage of ownership. Yeah. And so we're getting into the weeds of the details, but you know, every different deal could be done differently. There's deals where they say we're not going to give you any cash flow at all, but in five years when we sell this, you get a, a huge upside on the back end. So you're not seeing yeah. any money coming back from your investment, but when then they sell, when they sell, you're going to see a big lump sum. Some people like that. Most people don't because they like cash flow. Absolutely. Um, you know? And so when you start investing in syndications, you're really thinking about what is it that I need and you know, what deals are out there that match that need. Yeah. So a- as a service provider and a uh, limited partner in some of these different things, how do you how do those fit together? Is there like rules around how you're allowed to co-mingle those interactions around any of that stuff? Well, I don't think I can trade insurance for being a passive investor in a deal. Yeah. Um, so certainly not doing that. Um, I they don't really co-mingle at all. Um, okay. You know, I'm I'm insuring deals, and that's certainly what I'm up to there. And if someone wants to approach me for being a passive investor in a deal, I'm happy to talk about that. Our industry isn't regulated in in the same way as some others, where yeah. um, you know I really have to be careful about that or anything like that. But I, I'm obviously not trading one for the other. Interesting. Cool. So that is a conversation that like, if, if someone's listening, they're doing some syndications or whatever, they have an insurance guy already, they could go and ask him if they, they wanted in or anything like that, if, if they wanted 100%. to. hundred percent. And I would say that about any service provider, like yeah. what's your lawyer doing, you know, cause everybody who is involved in this space, you know, is, is making some money off of something. And many of us are, are doing okay in our, our systems. And so why not ask those people if they're interested now, you know, you got to have a good deal and you got to be able to present that deal well for someone to really want to consider investing in it. Um, I'm certainly not invested anywhere close to all the client in, a, in all the deals that I insure. Um, awesome. But I think, you know, that's a big part of it. Cool. Hey, let me cut in here real fast. I'm Chris, and I'm the host of the show you're listening to right now. But I'm also the founder of a platform called Ari. You know how we as real estate investors struggle with switching between multiple tools and software to manage our investments? Well, Ari is here to change that. It's a start to finish real estate investment platform that streamlines everything from deal analysis to funding. We de-risk lending opportunities and help you build trust with lenders and partners using our Investor Confidence Score. And guess what? We've got a special lifetime deal for select investors, our foundation partnership offer. This gives you lifetime access to Ari's powerful tools and early access to updates. Level up your real estate investing game and check out Ari today at www.ari.io. That is www.areii.io. Trust me, you will not regret it. So what, what are some of the trends, some of the, the things that we should be paying attention to as real estate investors that are going on inside the insurance industry? Is there, do they change laws very often or anything like that? 
So, I mean, the big thing that's affecting insurance is, you know, the big thing that all of your listeners care about is, is price, right? Yeah. Like we want to understand what the price is, not only for our underwriting, uh, for our business plan, but of course we want to spend as little as possible on insurance while at the same time having it cover us when bad things happen, right? Mm -hmm. And what we're seeing in the industry right now is is significantly higher claims. I guess it starts with what are the costs? In insurance is a business. Mm -hmm. And so what are the costs? If the costs are going up, then we're going to expect that our premiums are going up as well. And what we're seeing is an exponentially higher um, activity of catastrophic losses. Yeah. Um, if you look at some of hurricane behavior and all these kinds of things, we have cat losses in a way we haven't seen them before. Places like Texas, the freeze of 2021, the largest property claim in the history of the universe, basically, um, you know, had a huge effect on Texas and insurance in Texas. And so what we're seeing is uh, a couple of things. We're, we're definitely seeing prices going up. I mean, I, I don't know how to say that any other way. Yeah. Um especially in multifamily. Um, so multifamily prices, I'm seeing, I've never seen in other agents that I talk to who've been doing this for 40 years, have never seen uh, what's called as a hard market, have never seen as hard of a market as we have right now. And what that means is that insurance companies that used to say yes to apartments, they used to say yes to 1970s builds apartments. They used to say yes to apartments that maybe had lower occupancies or maybe didn't have uh, as high level of maintenance, maybe had some deferred maintenance. They were saying yes to these and doing that at a decent price. These insurance companies are just saying flat no. They're not mm -hmm. just saying no to 1970s construction. They're saying no to apartments, period. Yeah. And when you have companies pulling out of an asset class, you're going to see pricing increase from you know inside that asset class. So not only do we have uh, higher claims, higher claim numbers, we've got more liability and more litigious behavior. That's not drastically different than the past, but it kind of continues. Um, but we're also seeing insurance companies who have lost money on apartments. Uh, apartments as a whole across the United States have lost money for insurance companies for about 17 quarters in a row. So we're talking years and years at this point where insurance companies are losing money on this asset class. And so the price is really going up. Now, where is that happening more than other places? It's the places you would expect. Texas uh, in, you know, property insurance is in a crisis right now in Texas. Yeah. Uh, in Houston, I saw prices that were about $800 a door three years ago have now become $2,000 a door. And so we're talking about more than 100% increase in the average rate of insurance. Even Dallas has gone up significantly. So Texas, Louisiana, Mississippi, um, we're seeing just exponential increases in insurance costs. Florida, the one thing about Florida is Florida is just a known. Like if you're investing yeah. in Florida, you just kind of know insurance is going to be crazy. And yeah. so, you know, you're underwriting for that and you're, ex you're expecting it in a way that you wouldn't in, particularly in Texas, where I guess in some ways we should have known, um, but, you know, people just weren't expecting it. Now, I said numbers like $2,000 a door in those places. I also have clients in Illinois and Pennsylvania who are paying about $200 a door for their insurance. Mm. Um, and so it really, really depends on the location, uh, the age of the building, um, the occupancy of the building, if you've got assisted living or student housing, you know, or um, things like that, you know, there's going to be more expense there. Yeah. So 
uh, I don't know if that gives you a specific answer to your questions, but price is going up. And the key things that you can do there um, are really keeping up your property, buying properties that are newer construction, if possible. I know that's not always possible. And 70s construction is is sort of the lowest hanging fruit a lot of times. Yeah. Um, but insurance is just tough in those properties. Yeah. Is is there anything that like, obviously buying new is is good, but like, is there anything else that you can think of that's helping some of these people, any, any resources for them? Like how, how do people justify renting out an apartment complex? If the, if, if the insurance cost alone is that high, I mean, that's got to make the rent on, on an apartment in that area, like four grand a month or something. Are they just seeing like a move to single family renters across the entire market, basically? Well, and when I say it's $200, things like $200 or $2,000 a door, I'm, yeah. I'm saying per year. So you would get to divide that by 12. If oh, you're okay. okay. Monthly. <laughs> yeah. So that, that definitely helps. Not 2000 a door. I don't know anywhere where it's 2000 per door per month. Yeah. Uh, that would be tough. Um, so you divide by 12. So that that's nice as far as how you're figuring your numbers. You know, insurance okay. used to be five, 6% of the expenses associated with uh, a property, it's really getting more up to seven, eight, nine, ten at this point. Wow. And that certainly, you know, affects your cap rate. It affects your profitability. It's affects, you know, obviously affects your NOI and all, everything else. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think as far as what you can do about it, I, I think it really, the, the time that you, that is the best to be able to do something about it, insurance is when you buy, right? Yeah. And so you just have to know if you're going to buy something in Florida, if you're going to buy something in coastal Florida, you know, you, you've really got to have a good deal. You've really got to have a lot of space because not only do you have to have the space for $2,000 a door or whatever it is, but there's a lot of, you don't, there's volatility in what's going to be happening next year, right? Mm -hmm. Like what if it's $3,000 a door? How does your business plan change if, if you know, that's the case. And so I don't have magic answers. I think that yeah. having good advisors and reaching out to your advisors when you're penciling deals. You know, insurance is not the only thing you got to figure out. It's one small thing that you have to figure out on a list of things, but making sure that every single thing, property taxes, that you're not figuring property taxes based on history, but based on the value that you believe you can put into the property, which, you know, wherever you're at is then going to charge you the taxes on. Um, you really have to think about all those kind of things. Yeah. Interesting. Is there any other like industry trends or changes, maybe not related to insurance that you're really looking out? Uh, for any laws, anything like that? I mean, the biggest thing I'm looking at is is right now, commercial real estate in particular, I know your listeners are across the real estate world, but commercial real estate yeah. in particular, you know, Warren Buffett has that, say, that saying, when the tide goes out, you see who's swimming naked. Yeah. And I think the tide is on is out. The tide is at least most of the way out. Hopefully it's all the way out and it will start coming back up. But we're seeing, uh, you know, portfolios go under. We're seeing some stuff, uh, and I'm seeing it on the back end where we're not seeing it publicly. But a lot of property owners are struggling, mm -hmm. and so for your listeners, I would say, if you're listening, looking for knowledge, looking for education, looking for ca capacity, you have to underwrite really, really thoughtfully at the beginning and really know what you're doing if you're going to jump into these larger properties because you think 40 doors is easy if you've done 10. But it's four times the problems as well as four times the money. And yeah. I think you just have to be thoughtful about how you play the game. So that wasn't necessarily in industry insights, except that's just what I'm seeing right now is that uh, I'm hoping we're at a low point 
Um, but there's a lot of properties that are going to come up. Uh, you know, a lot of things are going to fold here because people came in in 2020 when it was easy and uh, made a bunch of mistakes and now they're struggling. Um, that was uplifting. Sorry about that. No, yeah, that super was super uplifting. Good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> We're really good. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I mean, sometimes you need to have those messages though. Like it, it's real estate, just like any other business is not always sunshine and rainbows. Well, and I think that's the big thing. Like people come on these shows and and say all the positive and yeah. they're really glossing over the whole picture. And for me, it's like, how can we teach people through these shows and through these conversations, how to build a healthy profitable business that's mm -hmm. going to take you through tough times. Yes, real estate is one of the most stable asset classes out there. That remains true. And that's what's so great about it. It's profitable and it's stable, um, but it has its downsides. And we have to make sure that we're not glossing those over just to tell our stories of making a million dollars in three days or something like that. Yeah. You know, it can still wreck you. Yeah. yeah. Uh, real quick. I am curious. Why, what's up with shine? How, how'd you come up with shine? Why'd you name it shine? So, you know, a lot of insurance agencies just take their own last name, right? My last name's Goodrich, and uh, I did not want to be Goodrich Insurance. It didn't make sense. Plus, I wanted to be scalable beyond myself. That's my whole yeah. concept around, uh, you know, our agency and what we do. Um, so we were trying to figure out a word that expressed the feeling we wanted to create for people. And so there were just a lot of metaphors that worked. Um, my wife and I went down to... Um, Edison's house in Florida while we were thinking about this business and went to kind of his shop where he invented elect. Well, it's arguable whether he invented electricity, but you, you get what I'm saying. Like, yeah, you know, and, and so there was just like the intelligence side and the light at the end of the tunnel. And, and so there were just a lot of metaphors that really connected the word to what we were trying to do. Our goal is to change mm -hmm. the way people feel about insurance and, and shine felt like the right word for that. Yeah. I love it. Um, I think in closing, is there any, well, two, two last things, uh, any advice that you want to impart on those that are getting started, looking to scale up in anything that they should be aware of or anything you want to tell them? I think real estate is one of the best, you know, asset classes out there. I think no matter where you're at, the, the thing is it's a, a leveling, it's not a level playing field. That's not true. That's not what I'm saying, but it is mm. anyone at any level can start, right? If your boots on the ground and you can find a deal in your town, in your area that you can find someone with money to make it work, you can hop into a hundred unit property if that's what you want to do. If you want to go buy some fix and flips, I have tons of you know folks who do great with fix and flips, then you can rock and roll with that. If you're willing to put mm. in the the sweat equity there's options for you if you have the cash and you're willing to put in the cash there's options for you i love real estate uh for that reason and um so i guess that's my last thought yeah awesome and then anywhere uh our listeners can find you yeah shineinsurance.com is there if you're a multifamily investor and you want just some insurance ballparks that don't take any time uh, you can go to shineinsurance.com slash ballpark. We've got a, a tool you can use. You just put the address in, answer nine yes or no questions and get an email immediately that gives you a ballpark number that you can put, you can pencil in your deal. Um, so, you know, and you can find us on YouTube and socials and all awesome. that. Awesome. Jeremy, thanks for being on the show today. This was a blast. And thanks for providing so much knowledge to our audience. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Thanks.
Thanks for tuning in to the Top Investor Podcast. If you are a real estate investor, we want to connect with you. Like our favorite quote from Ralph Waldo Emerson says, every man I meet is my superior in some way, and in that I learn from him. We believe we can learn something from everyone, so even if you are just starting out on your real estate investing journey, head over to the link in the description to connect with us, and we would love to hop on a call with you. Also, be sure to subscribe to the show and follow us on the socials at Top Investor Pod. While you're at it, leave us a five-star rating and a positive review so we can help more people become top investors. Until next time, this is Chris Marshall signing off. Go out and become a top investor. See you around.